0: D20
1: Radio, your gamers role. wwwd 20 radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience.
0: Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm here with my friend Steve. Hello. We have a very important guest on this week. We do. But before we get into our guest, let's go ahead and jump on our D20 thing of the week.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, this week we kind of figured one because we have one of the contributors on, but because we haven't done it before, we'd highlight the D20 Radio Blog, which is literally, I mean, a collection of gaming and geekery related Columns, articles, everything from RPGs to Magic the Gathering to mini stuff from a variety of people, including um, Ben Erickson, Lynn Whitson, Kim Franson, Garrett Crowe, Wayne Bosta, and our guest this week, Egg Embry. So, uh, yeah, go check that out if you're, if you're looking for some good uh, gaming-related reading.
0: Yeah, some cool reading happening over there. Uh, I don't have time to read the, the blog much anymore as I'm reading four books at the same time. So, is that all? <laughs> well,
2: that's all for now. <laughs> four books is enough. Four books is enough. <laughs> it no. is, isn't it?
1: there are never enough books. <laughs> uh.
2: But welcome on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate being here. I'm real good for over-talking everybody, so I apologize up front for that.
1: Eh, Well, you're in good company.
0: Yeah, Yeah, if it's not me and him, we're pretty good about...
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, um, figured we'd get you on because, well, one of the things that you do, in addition to writing for the D20 blog, is you write a column for EN World about Kickstarter and crowdfunding, Mm -hmm. and... It's a big thing in the RPG industry right now, yes. and we thought it would be fun to have a conversation about that whole thing.
2: That uh, that works out well for me. Uh, uh, not not to call out anything, but it's Thursday. It's uh, it's an auspicious day, and uh, this would normally be when I'm trying to get my weekly column done for the following week. So uh, instead of doing that. We're talking right now. So I get to turn this into my editor, this whole podcast and go, so the reason it's late is I was doing a podcast about doing the job.
0: <laughs> hey, if you want the link, you could just post this episode. Now, granted, it will be next week, but. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I could, I could send it to, I don't know. If it, it, does Rush do the editing himself or.
2: No, uh, <laughs> my editor's Mike. He's a super nice guy. Um, he, he puts up with all of my shenanigans. Okay. He also steers me clear of a lot of trouble. Appreciate him a lot.
1: Well, okay. hopefully we don't, uh, run you too late.
2: Oh no, 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 no. But for Ian world, you mentioned the weekly column. And I appreciate that. Uh, I generally try and take any RPG or RPG related Kickstarter or game found game on tabletop, Indiegogo, Gallant funding. Now that uh Gallant Knight games is doing their own thing. And, uh, I have yet to do an uh, uh, an inch funding but one day and share those to give an idea not not every single RPG but to give an idea of what's available.
1: Well yeah because there's I mean there's always tons and tons and the only one I regularly check is Kickstarter, but I mean there's still tons and tons of stuff on there all the time.
2: Yes. Yes. Kickstarter is by far and away the largest. You know game found is number two and they're growing. Especially since uh, the blockchain thing with Kickstarter, people becoming less interested in supporting Kickstarter, a number of them have moved over to GameFam.
1: Okay. What about Indiegogo? I've heard of that one. I, I don't know much about it.
2: So Indiegogo, uh, obviously it's been around for about as long as Kickstarter, maybe a little longer. Uh, it just never, it never caught fire, right? Like mm-hmm. right now, I'm going to mess up the name. Drowning Moon Games, I think, is running uh, an Indiegogo for... Thayer's, and I cannot remember the name of it. But I recovered it this past week on Ian World, so let me pull that up. But I like, am I am the worst for names for everything.
1: Well, I insist that the only reason I managed to remember my own name is because I've had it my whole life, so...
2: <laughs> I, 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 I got lucky with that. Egg is an easy name.
1: Yeah, I tend to just
0: commit on calling things the wrong name, and then people correct me later. <laughs> <laughs> and I just wave my hands at them. So
2: So... Uh, For Indiegogo, is Drowning Moon Studios is running uh, Stark Hollow Hall, which is their uh, gumshoe RPG, so runs on gumshoe, and you're going to be investigating a gothic horror school, trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, That one, honestly, it's doing, in my opinion, very well for being on Indiegogo. Kickstarter, you're probably going to get your most exposure. Game Found, probably your second most that's a toss-up between Game on Tabletop and Indiegogo.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, the way I see it, I think, you know, Kickstarter does two things. Some companies, you know, use it, I think, more as, as like a, a pre-sale hype mechanism. Mm-hmm. You know, others really do use it, so to speak, to get the funds to actually put a thing into production. So I think, you you know, you've got kind of two schools of use, really. The like I said, the ones that are using it for publicity and the ones that, that are using it, I guess also for publicity, but it's it's exposure. It's their way to to get the funds to do a project. You know, we're like, yeah, um, free league. Obviously, at this point, has a track record where they could go if they didn't have the capital, they could go borrow it from somewhere to do this. Probably, Mm -hmm. someone like I don't know, like Gav Garoga, isn't probably going to be able to do that. I would agree with that. You know, but I don't know. You know, you follow it obviously much closer. You know, is there a trend either way, or or where do you think it's
2: it's pushed the
1: industry as a whole?:
2: So the vast majority of RPG Kickstarters or RPG crowdfunding projects are going to fund. It's the most fascinating thing to me about this. Basically, if you build it, they will come. They may not come with bags of money, but you know, most likely you're going to hit your goal, provided you didn't ask for fifty thousand dollars and you gave me three paragraphs worth of information. With that one caveat, but if you have a credible-looking project and you have a reasonable goal, you're most likely going to obtain that goal. That has changed uh, for a lot of people, just whether they're actually going to complete a project or not. If you put out a project through, not not picking on Drive Through RPG at all, they're a very good group, but if you put out a project through Drive uh, it may do well or it may not. That doesn't have uh, quite the same built-in hype that putting something out on Kickstarter does. When someone puts something out on Kickstarter, they can expect people actively looking at it, people such as myself writing up articles about it, an additional promotion, and the generally tight window of, you know, roughly a week to four weeks, roughly that most campaigns run. I think it creates uh, a lot of interest in different projects. Right now, Green Ronin is doing their call it, or not call, it, they're doing their Cthulhu using their Age system.
1: Cthulhu Awakens or something like that, I think.
2: You got it. You got it. And they could do that traditionally. They've done a lot of things traditionally, but they're doing it through Kickstarter, and I think it's getting a lot more exposure than it probably would otherwise. I know I'm very interested in it. I got to do an interview about it, and I'm curious about it because I just want to know how they're going to adapt their system, right? hmm But I don't know that... I'd hate to say that it would fly under the radar for me, I don't know if I'd be as interested in it if it wasn't coming through Kickstarter just because it would sort of show up and I, it might get lost in the mix of emails that I get. Mm-hmm. So I think that helps to drive interest in a lot of games, just the fact that people actively go, actively talk about it while it's on Kickstarter.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, like, to point it, it you know, a recent, well, not recent, recent, but fairly recent, you know, Free League kickstarted the new edition of the One Ring. Mm-hmm. Well, we all know that that was going to sell great because gamers love Tolkien. Amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it that was a for- they, but you know that went what that went over a million. I don't remember by how much, but by some. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of been their business model. You know that they they kickstart projects that they can, and it it generates publicity and hey, it's worked for them. You know, they've become a force in the in the business.
2: What I find most fascinating is, you know, they're a Swedish company, right? Right. A lot of their games are... Th- th- they produce them in Sweden, and a fair number of them are translations. And a lot of the Kickstarters are to translate them effectively. And, yeah, the, the One Ring, obviously, I think, is uh, not that same scenario.
3: Mm-hmm. But,
2: yeah, doing the One Ring, you know, it, it, it is fascinating to me because... Not only did they do the core rules, but outside of Kickstarter, they also did the starter set. So they could have Kickstarted both, double-dipped that way, but they chose not to. The starter set's a little bit more of a traditional thing for them. But the core rules, they went through Kickstarter. And mm-hmm. I think it helped to hype both products.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. like I said, I don't know. It, but I think on the other side, you know, like you said that. You know, obviously the the elephant in the room is, you know, the Avatar Kickstarter that just blew everybody's mind.
2: Yes, yes. (laughs) Just shy of 10 million, yeah.
1: Yeah, which for those that, and I don't know if you follow it as intensely as I hear uh, Russ Morrissey do it on his podcast, but that was roughly, what, eight and a half to nine times the previous record?
2: Yeah, (laughs) yes. Uh, There's, you know, there's under $20 million RPG crowdfunding projects, period. Mm Mm-hmm. And the very first one is 7th C, 2nd edition. And, you know, the biggest one is Avatar. And it's not a huge gap of time, but a big gap in terms of the amount of dollars.
1: Yeah, but I mean, like, from Avatar to 2nd place is, like, what's 2nd place? Like, 1.4 million or something roughly like that?
2: I think it's 2.1. I'd have to
1: double that. Okay, but. Still, that's a significant gap. And the other thing that, again, I've noticed through, you know, podcast listening, whatever, is that, you know, there was, what, four or five of them that happened
2: last year? Let's see. I pulled up since uh, since we mentioned Morris earlier. Uh, last year, we had four that were just straight, no, five that were straight, nothing but an RPG, and then another five that included miniatures.
1: Okay and i mean that's up a considerable amount is you yeah. know does have to do with the pandemic or i mean it seems kind of odd in a way but
2: let's see in 2020 we had zero 2020 was zero 2021 was 10. um in 2019 was two and the very first one's 2016 so in my opinion what drove it yeah like being being at home and the pandemic being such it, it just got so um what's the term for movies butts and seats you know the pandemic got butts and seats you know as people decided to uh start doing more gaming you know hanging out with their friends online and whatnot mm-hmm. and so i very much believe that that drove a lot of this seeing uh your friends getting to be online getting to hang out with them and new games coming out that interested you might interest your whole table it was a good way to connect with people.
1: Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, and I would tend to think
0: maybe a little bit of that as well as like a lot of people leave, go to work, are at work, not sitting staring at a computer screen all day long or staring at their phone. And so it's sort of a, you know, you might miss a Kickstarter because you're not sitting just scrolling through Kickstarter looking for things to play. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I wonder if some of that is like, because people are, have the free time to sit and look, they're finding the games that, like you said, about the majority of games get funded on Kickstarter. Well, sitting there and having the time to look up and see what RPGs are coming out and the ability to go, ooh, I want to back that, or ooh, I want to back that, you know, versus where you'd be at work most of the day and, mm-hmm. you know, you're not staring at that. When you come home, you just want to play the games you have.
2: Indeed. Indeed. I know for me, uh, during the pandemic, my spending on RPGs, it went up tremendously, and there's a lot of fun games out there, and I just see something, you know, I'm like, oh, that would be that would be a ton of fun to play, or I could see, you know, where uh, the different people I play with, where that's going to be a good game for them. Uh, we also are living in this wonderful time where we're seeing a lot of licensed things coming along, you know, the Witcher RPG, the One Ring, Alien from Free League, we got Blade Runner coming up, of course, Avatar. You know, these are properties that I'm already emotionally invested in because they're fun, I'm into them in other media, and getting the opportunity to play them on tabletop is awesome, right? hmm had that before, but it really feels like we're hitting a lot of that as you're seeing more and more companies committing to that, uh, the Terminator RPG that uh, mm-hmm. is coming soon. Now, I don't know that we had had a real attempt to bring just that specific property so much to tabletop, Alien RPG had existed before, but it hadn't really worked out too well. And now we have this new one, and it's one of the best games I've ever played. So those kinds of things where we're getting all these really great elements of gaming coming together. The ability to get it to you through crowdfunding, combined with the fact that a lot of the properties that you have some emotional connection with are coming to tabletop. You know, when they announced uh, He-Man coming to tabletop, I'm still waiting, still waiting, patiently waiting. But when they announced it, I was like, oh, this is going to be great. Right, right. And I'm still waiting for that one. Like, that's, that's going to be a winner. I was at Gen Con and someone was doing a, a hack of He-Man. And we were sitting at the next table because I hadn't known about it, hadn't been able to sign up. And he had the Castle Grayskull that I had as a kid. That was his GM screen. He had it decked out. And I was like, oh man, I wish I were playing that game. And it wasn't the one that's coming, but as soon as that one drops, I want to play that game. <laughs> that's was that
1: fandom doing that one. I,
2: uh, yes,
1: I think yes. cortex, right? Yes,
2: you're correct. You're correct. Yeah.
1: I, yeah, the, you're right. You know, and that isn't, I hadn't thought of it, but there have been just a lot of, a lot of licensed games come out, you know, in the past year or so. I mean, you've got, what G.I. Joe, My Little Pony, Power Rangers, and Transformers—that are all either recently out or impendingly out from Renegade—I believe.
2: Mm-hmm. Let, let me let me jump in on that. We live in an age. Where there are two different My Little Pony games in the past five or 10 years for you to choose from. And while I would choose neither of them, I did read the original one and I'm like, this is a really clever system. (laughs) And the fact that, like, there's just like, okay, so you could do the D20 ish version, you can do an original version. Who knew that we were going to live in this age? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt, but what you were saying about licensing, you're absolutely right. There's so many. No,
1: no, I, just playing off what you were saying. But then I think, you know, you've got the other side of, of that where you get creators that because they have, they can use Kickstarter, they get things out that probably would have never made it to market otherwise.
2: Absolutely. I can testify to that. I
1: don't know. What's your opinion on like Coyote and Crow?
2: Oh, so. Which
1: did very well, but. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that would have flown without crowdfunding.
2: 100%. So Connor Alexander, super nice dude. Talked with him a lot for Coyote and Crow. He sent me an advanced PDF of the book so I could do a review of it that's coming out very soon in Nights at the Dinner Table. We've talked about his next project. Uh, Just He's an incredibly nice guy, in my opinion. But yeah, 100%. I do not think that in a traditional market, he would have hit a million dollars in terms of what he would have raised to put that game out in a traditional sense. It was crowdfunding, it was the ability for people outside of what I really feel is normal gaming space to find that game. You now he's I'm not gonna say he's an unknown quantity. His day job before Coyote and Crow, he worked in the gaming industry with one of the distributors, I think. Okay. Yeah, you know, so he was not unfamiliar with the industry in any way, shape or form. He totally was a, Uh, a person that knew it from uh, the angle of the business model, right? But I don't know how much success without that Kickstarter that game would have had getting into game stores. Now, it's more of a known quantity, right? Like, it's done a million dollars. It's, I don't, this is really hard to quantify or qualify, but uh, I feel that it's one of the bigger indie games that uh, has done a million dollars on Kickstarter. And that's not fair to the other publishers that are very much indie publishers they have also done a million dollars. But it really just feels like, you know, Connor's stuff just kind of came out of the clear blue sky and like it's a million dollar Kickstarter and it's on the back of an amazing amount of hype and an individual that knew a lot about what they were doing and good marketing and all that. But uh, it feels like it's one of the bigger truly indie games that isn't... Dungeons and Dragons, or using a major license or something else to kind of make it clear that, hey, when you purchase this, this is what you're getting.
1: Well, yeah, I think that brings up a, uh, another point with that, is that, yeah, he's not, because I backed it for the PDF, I haven't actually read it yet, but mm-hmm. but yeah, he doesn't have the, you know, he didn't use an established game engine, and yes. it's obviously a completely whole cloth new setting, Mm-hmm. so like you know you said there's no ip to go oh you love avatar so you'll buy this game because you're collecting avatar stuff not because mm-hmm. you know you want an rpg he doesn't have that he doesn't have the oh what's this new 5e thing or you know amen whatever
2: <laughs> i'm 100 percent with you what he brings to the table is a new vision right mm-hmm. you know um I I read the book, and I really deeply appreciate it, right? Uh, full disclosure, not Native American, not Aboriginal American. Uh, don't know enough about the culture that I should. You know? mm-hmm. The book, I love it because it has guidance to keep me from doing things that would not be things I'd want to do, right? Like, I, I, I'm Joe Blow, white dude, and I don't know enough about Native American culture to feel comfortable in doing things to where I don't want to be a jerk at the gaming table. I don't want to be a racist individual at the gaming table. And I love the game because it gives me guidance on that. It's like Mm -hmm. these things are going to make sense to Native Americans. These things if you're not Native American, because there's specific elements of the game that they're really for natives. And it just recommends that if you're not, don't use those elements. I appreciate that a lot. You know, I would prefer to not do something that was going to upset somebody, right? And the person I'm mo- at least worn upset is me. I don't want to. I don't want to be a bad dude. I don't want to. You know. I was watching recently. Uh, y- y'all remember the TV show Kolchak the Night Stalker from 1974-75?
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah, Kolchak the Night Stalker.
2: <laughs> I, I, I. Okay, so it's the 50th anniversary because the first movie came out in '72. Um, mm-hmm. Moonstone books. Did the 50th anniversary Kickstarter for the graphic novel? I wrote a couple articles about that. I went and rewatched the series. Tons of fun.
0: But That series was done in the seventies. Yeah, yeah.
2: And there's at least one Native American episode that you're just like, ooh, you know, it, it, it's yeah, it's 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 not good. And I don't want to condemn anyone that had anything to do with it. It's different era and all that kind of stuff, but. It's the whole thing that I'm super worried about if I were to play Coyote and Crow. Like, I don't want to do the same things they did in that, where it's just like a bunch of white people playing Native Americans and saying some very terrible things about uh, the Aboriginal people. And this book gives me guidance towards not doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, On top of that, it's just cool that it's a different take on the near future. A different take on everything, you know? A meteorite crashed on the other side of the earth, Native Americans develop their own cultures. You know, they have superpowers, different cities. Uh, The map that comes with the game, I love it because it looks at the world that we, you know, our our version of the world is north-south, and their map is flipped over. So Florida is at the top of the United States, what what we would call the United States. They obviously do not. Um, It's a bunch of city-states. The big city is roughly where St. Louis is. It's just a lot of things about it that I think are just neat, just on the surface of it.
1: Hmm. So yeah, and yeah, like I said, I don't think that it might have gotten made without Kickstarter, but it wouldn't have been what it is.
2: Yes, one hundred percent, one hundred percent.
1: You know, and then then you also have just people putting out you know small projects. Um. Well, the episode that that we dropped um for us the a couple days before we're recording was with um Miguel Cologne.
2: He is awesome. Who's,
1: done a couple small projects. His second one is, is up on Kickstarter right now. Mm -hmm. And you know, he said, yeah, you know, he's done work for a bunch of different companies throughout the industry, but for him to get something out on his own, yeah, he needs that, that Avenue to
2: get, get capital to make it happen. Absolutely.
1: Which, you know, I think was the original intent of Kickstarter, but
2: Mm -hmm. we live in this interesting era where Monty cook, right? Does not need Kickstarter. You know, but when he does one, it is fascinating. You know, everyone loves them. Some Monty Cook games. If you see one of his Kickstarters, it's going to be big bucks and it's going to be big ideas and amazing products. And you're talking about name recognition. You know, he's got that name recognition. He put his name into the company and I totally get why. And then I've seen other people that like, when I read their resume, I'm like, you've got a great resume. And the Kickstarter numbers are not bad. Don't want to say that. But, you know, people that I'm like, oh, you've got a $100,000 resume and the Kickstarter does 10,000 bucks, which is totally respectable, not trying to condemn that. But it feels like someone's name may not be uh, getting across how many things they've done that the fans have enjoyed. Yeah. So Kickstarter helps to get things out there. Absolutely. And I could definitely see where you have some creators that if they would a traditional route of just putting out through drive through or trying to go and do an original print run and get it into the stores would not have as much success.
1: Yeah. Now I wonder too, and, and this is something that's been brought up. Um, I think I've had it side conversations. Someone told me that in a lot of cases for some of these smaller publishers, you know, especially people who are doing you know real indie projects that, most of these distributors want you to have X number of titles before they'll carry you. I can believe that.
2: I can believe that. So,
1: you know, Kickstarter is, is effectively, or any of them, crowdfunding is a way to circumvent that until such a point, you know, either as you can get direct sales, which, you know, the internet obviously makes a lot more possible, or you can get enough titles that, that you can get listed with a distributor or, like the Modiphius model where they partner with free league and mm-hmm. Stockholm cartel and mm-hmm. whoever else and say here, yeah, we'll put a logo on your book and you sell it through us and we all make money a little bit, but you know,
2: <laughs> <laughs> indeed uh, Modiphius is some sort of awesome. They don't do uh crowdfunding so much. Uh, they do traditional products and they've gotten some great licenses, uh, Star Wars, you know, or that uh, I just said Star Wars. Star Trek. I apologize. Star Trek, you know, uh they've got so many books, so many box sets that that I don't know if y'all saw the one where it was the board cube. Oh, that thing was cool.
1: No, I didn't see that one.
2: Oh, uh, like it's I could not afford it. It was <laughs> it was stupid expensive, but it looks so cool in the pictures. You get a board cube and you pull it out and Got all your books in it, and your miniatures, and your dice, and GM screen. I'm like, man, I, we're playing with the board cube today. I don't care what we're doing.
1: <laughs> You're supposed to supposed to play the game, egg, not play with the product itself. Amen.
0: Amen. <laughs> that thing's awesome. I didn't know this existed. It's got a full-on star map. It's got like mm-hmm. multiple GM screens, like.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, uh, man, I wish I were made of money, because when I saw that thing, I'm like, I'd like one of those, or maybe two. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just running around your house with it.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, I'm just throwing this out there as as a maybe with Modiphius, but with the, the amount of licensed products they do, I do know I heard an interview somewhere that the reason that Free League didn't kickstart Alien, because mm-hmm. they kickstart basically everything, is mm-hmm. that they were not allowed to as part of the license.
2: Yes. I've heard that from multiple different licenses as well. Obviously, you know, it, with Free League, you got a good example with Alien, where they couldn't, and then the One Ring, where they could. Mm-hmm. And I think, and don't hold me to this, but I think Blade Runner is going to be kickstarted, and all through Free League, so... It's kind of all over the map as to what it's going to be.
1: Who, who, what was the film house on that?
2: Uh, that
1: is,
0: is it Warner Brothers? I think. I could not say. Okay.
1: Cause I th- think,
0: I think that's Warner Brothers. Cause it's the same. It's either Warner Brothers or it's Fox, but I don't think it's Fox. Um, let me double check that.
1: Aliens quick. was Fox,
0: wasn't it? Yeah. Aliens is the mouse. <laughs> um,
2: if the alien shows up. Wearing the mouse ears in the next movie, I'm there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like if it's Alien and
2: Magic Kingdom.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's HBO Max. So I'm saying it's Warner Brothers.
1: Okay. Well, regardless. So I guess a couple of things to, to go back into. We had some listener questions around this. And we touched on a little bit, one, with with um, Kickstarter going to this, announcing they're doing this blockchain thing. Mm-hmm and and whatever and and to be completely honest i have very very minimal understanding of that but the the question was surrounding kind of that and then there's been a few like you said most of these kickstarters have funded properly and and filled and whatever there's been a few that happened that happened where they didn't fulfill Mm -hmm. and you know our listener was asking you know do you see kickstarter is is what's their future like regarding all of that because like With the blockchain and NFT stuff, you know, they were very recently, I don't know if everyone saw it, but there was a big flap when Chaosium announced something with NFTs. They got a big backlash and then they decided not to do so. Yes. So do you see that kind of having any effect on Kickstarter going forward?
2: So Kickstarter being the the big boy on the block, obviously there's going to be backlash against that, right? Because for the longest time they weren't a monopoly, but they were very close to it and they've used that to make some interesting decisions like at the root changing your technology over to the blockchain is not a free move right it's gonna cost you money to do it why you would want to spend that money when you have a successful product is very beyond me at the same time it did not endear them to anybody so i think it was a poor business decision but, on the flip side, Game Found is really stepping up to become the new competitor by mm-hmm. doing that by a misstep on the part of Kickstarter opens up the field for the other players, and Game Found looks like they're going to be the ones that're going to benefit from it the most. So I can see an upside to this for the industry as a whole, you know, because Kickstarter, if everything goes through them and goes through nothing else. Should they ever go sideways? That's a problem for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. But by having more than one, and the other one starting to become really healthy, I think that uh, I think on Ian World Morris shared that in 2021, I think for RP or for tabletop gaming in general, I think Kickstarter was 272 million dollars raised. Don't quote me on that, but I think that was the number. And I think. That uh Game Found was 22 million dollars raised for tabletop gaming as a whole, which obviously it's a much smaller number, but it's growing mm-hmm. And no one's coming close to that in terms of a second place number. And most of the people that are doing Game Found are having a fair amount of success.-hmm. So.
1: Now, Game Found, though, is exclusive to games, right? Be it tabletop, video, whatever kickstarter is not
2: that's correct so So,
1: we're you know i guess
2: oh go ahead go ahead
1: i would say we're looking at one i think a lot of the rpg community looks at kickstarter as like this playground of new stuff Mm -hmm. and that's i don't know you know their overall numbers but i don't you know games i'm sure do a large segment of their business but they're not by any means their entire business.
2: I would definitely agree with that. Like, I think games are notable percentages, but yeah, the... I will say, like, when um, when we had Avatar and, to a lesser extent, Critical Role, which is obviously not a straight RPG thing, but RPG adjacent. Yeah, you know, Both mm-hmm. of those were in the, you know... I'm just going to ballpark they're both around 10 million. I can't remember exactly what Critical Role did. But that put them, I think, in the top 20 for the whole... Website across all categories, mm-hmm. so yeah, RPG is our tabletop games is definitely not everything they do, but I feel it's uh, it's notable, mm-hmm. and I can see why other companies want to step in and do their own thing. You know, it's there's enough money on the table there to where it's worth trying to get some. I would imagine for the different companies, uh, but I think you originally asked about blockchain and all that. Uh, that announcement again, like I said, it. It costs Kickstarter money to develop something when they have a working platform. They don't know that blockchain is going to make, you know, and I don't know the technology well enough. I don't know that if it's going to lower their operating cost. We'll see. But it had a negative, had a lot of negative press, a lot of negative spin. And, you know, again, it's going to cost them money to develop it. So I'll be curious to see what the return on their investment is.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I I don't know an answer, and, and, you know, Steve and I have talked a little bit, because, actually, I think our conversation started with me looking at him and going, what the hell is blockchain?
0: (laughs) And I went, (laughs) and spit out a rough answer, because I don't even really, like, blockchain is a mystery wrapped in an enigma, and I'd Mm -hmm. love to talk to somebody that understands it, but at the same time, I don't want to know. I don't want to, like... I believe in the curse of knowledge and I don't (laughs) want to be cursed with that knowledge because then you become the person that everybody goes to and goes, can you explain this to me?
1: No. (laughs) 100%,
2: 100% with you. All
1: right. So because it seems like a good segue from forbidden knowledge, we had another question and, and I know you don't, well, maybe you can surprise me and have an answer for this, but they want to know, especially when you get to like, and traditionally, this would be ZineQuest month, so Kickstarter would be flooded with Ooh, yes. tons and tons of RPG projects. Now, that's going to happen later in the year. Mm-hmm. But when you have all this stuff on crowdfunding, is there any consistent way to filter it, you know, the, the wheat from the chaff, so to speak?
2: So what I end up doing is just every time something's an RPG, I save it to my list, right? Mm-hmm. And then for me, since I go through them once a week... There's generally, there's generally X number of them that are available that week. And I go through and pick out, say eight. And that's about the best I can do in terms of trying to figure it out, you know, like it's taking all of them and not, I don't, I save them all and don't necessarily look at them all until I get to, it's time to do the new article. And then I look at them all and go, oh, wow, this is great. This is brilliant. I really want to cover this. And then I hit the ones, of course, that I'm just like, well, I like it, but I can't cover it. Mm-hmm. But in terms of finding a good list, uh, there's a number of people that they, they generate a list, but yeah, I have not found one that's just, hey, so this is the good and this is the bad, and you know, there you go.
1: Yeah. Now, and I think, you know, it's, it's like with games in general, right? The game that I like may not be the game that you like. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to affect whether it's a, worthwhile thing for you to throw some money at as a Kickstarter or is it not? You know, I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. I I think like you said, sometimes you can tell from the production levels that are put into the campaign they put up, Mm -hmm. but not always, because sometimes you have someone who, what do you want to say? Like, I don't want to say it like, like, okay, we've talked about Russ Morrissey a little bit in this episode. Mm -hmm. His approach to Kickstarter is very different from a lot of other publishers. Yes. Russ is fairly minimal with his rewards. Mm -hmm. His campaigns are, I don't want to say understated, but very factual. Yes. You get what it says on the box. Mm -hmm. He doesn't add a lot of extra stuff, Mm -hmm. but you're going to get it, and it's going to happen relatively quickly. Where a lot of other people, there's a lot of flash, there's a lot of whatever. not saying you don't end up getting it, but they're building publicity where Russ is giving you a table of contents to kind of oversimplify
2: things. Mm Mm-hmm. So, let me talk about my experience. Uh, I did two Kickstarters during ZineQuest 2019? Feels right. Yeah, so 2019, I did two zines. Uh, I delivered them both a year after I was supposed to, because I am that guy. I'm a jerk. Uh, I was very unhappy with myself for not having those products ready and delivered on time. However, it was one of those lessons learned. Everything got delivered. And for the next project, I looked at what Morris did, and I thought, man, like, having that stuff in the can, ready to go, that's what I'm going to do. And I definitely took that lesson to heart from him. You know, picking up exactly what you have, having it 100% ready, delivering it, yeah, that—that—that that, that is a beautiful thing to have all that weight taken off your shoulders. Yeah. Morris does not do stretch goals. He doesn't do anything. But as soon as that campaign ends, everybody gets their PDFs. He hits send on that. He makes a game out of it, to where he tries to get it done in under a minute. Everybody gets all their mm-hmm. products done, mm-hmm. and it's amazing. He does. Uh, he makes Kickstarter and crowdfunding very much a business, in that you know you know what you're going to get because he's got it done. Mm -hmm. And for everything that I have done since those first two and going forward, uh, it's 100% in the can because Mm -hmm. nothing worse than sitting there having to say like, well, I'm going to get it to you whenever I get off my lazy duff and get it finished.
1: Well, but it's not even that, you know, I have had a conversation with someone who had a product on Kickstarter. They funded successfully hit some stretch goals and then had a contributor that they had paid for something that was to go in the completed Kickstarter, not delivered to them. Mm
3: -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: So, you know, they end up, so to speak with egg on their face when, (laughs) (laughs) well, no, (laughs) I'm just throwing that out there, though. you know, for, for people to be aware of that sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's, I don't feel like writing this today and that's why you're not getting it. Sometimes it's the person you gave your money to is getting screwed. Yeah. (laughs)
0: 100 percent well i think some of that though and and this is just me personally if you're transparent with your kickstarter and you put an update and you go hey look here's what's going on i'm working with someone i got some issues going on i don't think anybody who backed something like that's going to be super upset if you're transparent about it Mm -hmm. but if you just don't post updates that's when i start to sweat about kickstarters yeah when I back a Kickstarter and then there's no updates from the time that it ends and I'm starting to sit there like, Oh no, (laughs) there goes my money. Indeed. But I, I I think, you know, in the RPG industry, it seems more so that, and I can't say this with certainty, but it seems more so that people are less likely to scam. You know what I mean? And I, I don't mean that to be rude, but, other things there it's more likely that yeah that's not happening you know what i mean uh-huh. and and it seems like in rpgs with with kickstarter especially that people are less likely to be like ha see you later suckers <laughs> and i think we see that in, in you know a lot of kickstarters for rpgs are and i don't i'm not saying this like oh man you're not asking for enough money but a lot of them are sort of low funding goals
2: yeah oh yes
0: you know Miguel has a game out right now. Mm-hmm. His goal is $300. Mm-hmm. It's just enough that he could do what he needs to.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think he said essentially it paid for him to buy a layout software and the cover art. Yeah.
2: Nice. That, that's for malpractice?
0: Yeah. yeah, that's for malpractice. Awesome. That game looks so neat. I'm so excited for that.
2: I think it's going to be a fun game. I think it is too. Uh, I read the review or read uh, the synopsis for it, and I'm like, that sounds like a winner. Like anytime you could be a doctor and you're dealing with the mob, I mean, what better r p g is than is there than that
0: yes, yeah, Steve. anytime you could be a doctor <laughs> and dealing with the mob, we ran a cyberpunk twenty twenty game well, Steve ran a cyberpunk twenty twenty game back in the day where I was literally that nice, <laughs> nice. um but no and, and you know not not to go off on too much of a tangent, but man, Miguel puts out really great products, yes. Claude Seas is fantastic, um, and and yeah, but no, I, I like I said, I think the the thing is, and, and I'm not saying this like you know, there's always bad actors and everything, but it seems like in the industry, especially with industry kickstarters, most people are intending to get a good product out there and not intending to rip anybody off.
1: Yeah, well, I think that goes to though that this industry is so much populated and and made up of people who are doing this because they love it mm-hmm. you know yes they're they're making some money but you know i've i'm of the opinion that it's not a a industry that fits the corporate model well just by its very nature and i think some of that too though is almost everybody's
0: a a message away you know what i mean mm-hmm. like there's a few people that are out of reach but You can get to somebody close to them pretty easily. It's a small, like, it's a small, tight-knit community we have. Like, it's huge, but it's tiny. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. You know, we've sort of learned that with the podcast. But, yeah, it just, you know, from the outside looking in, it looks huge. And then you start realizing that, oh, well, how the creators interact with the audience and how the audience interact with creators and, you know, everybody's sort of, it's this very symbiotic relationship that's not seen in a lot of other uh, other hobbies other other I don't know how else to put it hobbies
2: yeah. yeah I uh before doing RPGs I tried to get into comics and that that is a there's a good solid wall between fans and creators and that wall doesn't feel like it exists in tabletop RPG you know anytime that you want to reach out to a creator you know I've talked with basically if you don't work for uh, Wizards of the Coast there's a decent chance that I've talked to you in some capacity. <laughs>
3: you
2: know, Wizards of the Coast I just don't I, I, I just have not happened to have a opportunity to meet any of them. But you know there there's no barrier it feels like and everyone they're very accommodating, people want to talk to you, people want to discuss games, and a lot of times they want to play games with you.
1: Yeah, well that's the thing like, you know, we've we've met some people that you know they're they're designers and and creators in their own right but they're also just massive fans Mm -hmm. of gaming in general Mm -hmm. morris (coughs) morris chris spivey uh
0: yeah spivey um yeah even ken height yeah Mm -hmm. that's i was drawing a black. i was like oh no like we've talked to other big names ken height you know But yeah, I agree. It's, it's these people, you know, the, the RPG outside of, and I'm, I'm sure, and I'm not saying this to be rude. I'm sure there's people inside of, of the wizards of the coast community that do it out of love, but Mm -hmm. everybody we've talked to out outside of that world has been why I, I, I do it, but I do it mostly because I love the industry or I love, you know, I made games for my friends. So now I make games for everybody.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's what it feels like a lot of the times is just talking to people that it's like, oh, yeah, you're right. You know what? If I'm going to sit down and write a campaign setting, well, maybe I should think about publishing it. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? But that's I mean, that's a tangent and a half. But (laughs) so with all that being said, do we have any more questions from the Patreons? No,
1: we've kind of gone over all the ones we had
0: just to segue off of that. If you want to ask a question to any of the guests you hear on the podcast, remember we have Patreon now and at our $5 tier, that is one of the things you get. You get as long as we have advance notice, you get advance notice of the guests we're having on. So you can ask questions within, you know, within reason to our guests and and we'll ask them for you. So,
1: mhm. And uh, you know, we've mentioned a bunch of or a couple of places where people can find you egg, but uh do you have you know, website or websites or places people can go to check out your work or anything else?
2: I, so I'm a freelance RPG columnist for the most part. Uh, while you can find me on Facebook as Egg Embry or on Twitter as Egg Embry, typically you can find my columns on Ian World, D20 Radio, Ghostfire Gaming, and in print for Knights of the Dinner Table from Kinzer and Company. And then I just show up at random places other than that. Now, whenever uh <laughs> whenever I'm talking to someone that has a website and I can say, well, I have an article or I have an interview or whatever, would you please publish it? Please, please? And uh <laughs> so I appear at different random places.
1: That's fair.
0: Yeah. And I think with all that being said, it's time we move into game of the week. Woohoo! Game
1: of the week! <laughs> game
2: of the week! Game of the week.
1: All right, so we briefed you on what Game of the Week is. Yes. And uh,
2: then I spoiled it by um, spoiling uh, what my Game of the Week was, so I had to rethink it. <laughs> well,
1: you can still use one of those if you want to. Like I said, we've somehow managed, though, to to only have someone steal someone else's game, I think, once. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I,
0: I've, I tried to mention a game that you would mentioned in the past, but you stopped me.
1: Yeah, but I edited that out. No one ever heard that. Oh, well... <laughs>
0: no i think it was in the bloopers (laughs) it might have been i thought it was the end of that episode
1: but no we did have one time we had a guest on and i had a game picked out i had a couple of them just because but the guest was like well it's gonna be this i'm like damn it
0: (laughs) who was that that was liam
1: yep with um oh that post-apocalyptic toxic lords in the neon waste Yep. Pretty nice.
0: Yep. Liam from Toa Tabletop. Fantastic. Hmm. Uh, so, do you want to go first, Steve? Do you want to go first, Egg? You want me to go first? Uh, I can go.
2: Uh, actually, let me ask y'all this question before we jump into that because I just have to know. One of the bucket list games that I never played, and it has to be in person because I have to see all the books, have to see all the charts. Have y'all ever actually played Phoenix Command?
1: Phoenix Dawn Command? That might be the from... one. From. From, um, the hat. Oh. Keith Baker.
2: No, I'm blank. You know what? I'm blanking on who put it out. It's, a uh, uh, Together Studios? That's
1: Keith Baker. Phoenix Dawn Command is Keith Baker's card-driven RPG.
2: Oh, it's the, you know what? I cannot, like, it, it's, I apologize. It's the one that's just supposed to be the most complex, like, bunches of charts RPG, and for the life of me. I'm like, what is it called?
0: The realistic ballistic simulator? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, ew. Sorry. That's just, that wasn't me making a comment on the game. That was just. I've not heard of
2: that one. Yeah. I'm going to take a small art. Walk that one back then. (laughs) I apologize. Okay. So here we go Phoenix Command uh, from Leading Edge Games. Uh, Basically, it was just supposed to be insanely realistic. Yeah, I'm seeing this. This thing looks awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be awesome in all the wrong ways. I never had a chance to play it. And uh, it's Bad. one of those things like if we're available at a convention just to go through the one combat where it's like, okay, so this chart goes to this chart, goes to this chart, goes to that chart. Okay, I think you hit.
0: <laughs> I, I think. Yeah, I'm noticing this. <laughs> Huh? Yeah, I'm the chart guy, and I didn't even know this existed.
2: <laughs> I've heard amazing things about it in terms of the level of complexity. I've always wanted to find someone that's like, "Oh yeah, like that game's the one," and I have yet to do that. So I thought, well, I'd ask. And then I'm like, "Wait, what? Wh- what's the game? Called? H- whom I don't remember anything about it."
1: Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'm just looking,
0: uh, I'm just like, I've just brought up pictures and it's like astonishing.
1: Aim time, aim time, mod shot, acu- oh my God. This <laughs> is like modern day Rollmaster turned up to 14.
2: Yes.
0: It's not even modern day. This is like the one I found is from
2: like guessing the mid nineties. Yeah. I think it's late eighties, early nineties, mid nineties, something like that. Yeah.
1: In the eighties it says, yeah, I meant like modern day as far as setting, not.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. I thought you meant like modern day as in modern day. I was like,
3: no.
1: <laughs> I oh could, my God.
0: this is like, I like that they have like a Rambo esque guy on the cover art of some of these books, because that's exactly the kind of game I would play with this. <laughs> <laughs> I would play the most realistic Rambo game ever made. Wow.
2: <laughs> and everybody's got to sound like Sylvester Stallone while playing it.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: yep, I agree okay <laughs> that's cool
1: man that's yeah, i've cool. not heard of this this is it's intriguing <laughs> like i i don't want to deal with it but <laughs> at the same point i do yeah
3: well,
0: i agree with you I, i'm 100 there with you i would sit down at a at a con with a pre-made character mm-hmm. go through one combat and that one combat would probably take two hours based on these charts mm-hmm. And and then I'd be done. Then I'd be like, okay, I played Phoenix Command once. <laughs> and I would tell everybody that I could get a hold of, oh, yeah, you know what I played? I played Phoenix Command. <laughs> and they would be like, why? <laughs> <It's not quite laughs> that's awesome. Huh. All right. Well, that's a neat little nugget that I never knew existed. It's always fun when you find those, isn't it? It
2: is, isn't it? Yeah. Indeed. All right. So I'm sorry to de- derail us. Please, carry on with Game no. of the
1: Week. <laughs> no, that's, that's exactly what Game of the Week is for. Yeah,
0: because <laughs> neither of us knew that existed, so.
1: <laughs> All right. You going next or am I, Steve? I can go next. All right, you go next.
0: Well, I figured since we had Egg embryo on, I might as well talk about a Kickstarter game. Okay. And the Kickstarter game I picked is actually the Chew RPG. Nice based off of the graphic novel Chew. It is a dark comedy um, being produced by Forged in the Dark Games, so the people that made Blades in the Dark. Um, and the ideas that food mutates you and gives you mutant powers, uh, it's it's really weird, okay? I can't say that Chew is very normal, but it's it's dark and gritty and funny and cannibalistic and, yeah... Chew and then the Chew RPG because that looks like a ton of fun. Um, and, it, and it's currently, it looks like the Kickstarter wrapped up. They're currently on uh pre orders, yeah. Pre orders on uh what we were just talking about it Game Found, yeah. Game Found, so yeah, I uh, Chew RPG, you can check
2: that out. We jump in on that if if you don't mind. So I got to do a play test of that at Origins.
0: Oh, okay, that is a
2: fun game, right? So, like. Like you said, like everyone has a different like food-related power. And so it is about going on crazy adventures and eating nasty things and seeing what happens. <laughs> yep. It was a like yep. chew is a good call. Like I I'm gonna second that. I highly recommend it as well.
0: <laughs> I I love the the graphic novel. It's just such a weird it's it's exactly that too. It's like a weird fun adventure <laughs> following a guy who is He's an agent for the um Food and Drug Administration. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. The FDA. He's basically a health he's basically a health inspector. Mm-hmm. And it's great. <laughs>
1: yeah, that, that looks interesting.
0: Yeah, that right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. So I'm gonna bring up a game that I'm sure Egg's heard of. Steve, you may have. And it's been kind of one of those things I've heard of it a few times, but I started looking at it, and for some reason it brought to mind Loki. Mm -hmm. That's time watch from Pelgrane press.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Time watch is cool. Which is effectively you, you play time bureau agents, although it's, it's not at all affiliated with the, the Marvel universe, whatever, but effectively that's what you're doing is you're playing the time bureau. Yeah. (laughs)
0: I'm going to say this because I'm working on a game. I'm working on a Mutant City Blues game. What is with the gumshoe engine? It, 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 it just has to be the most... It, let me finish, and then we can... <laughs> get words out of my mouth. The gumshoe engine is supposed to be like an investigative... But boy, it really feels like it was built around playing cops most of the time.
1: Well, it's because cops investigate things, mm-hmm, Steve. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, but I I don't know. For whatever reason, I always assumed that the gumshoe engine was more built around playing like private detectives and that type of thing. But no, it feels like you're playing like it's built really well for police procedurals, which I could see this being like a weird police procedural.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's you, you know, you play time watch agents defending the time stream from radio. It's to quote the, the blurb on drive through radioactive cockroaches, psychic vampires, and human meddlers. Or not psychic vampires, psychic velociraptors. <laughs> They're much more menacing than psychic vampires. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> but I mean, like, it just, you know, it's, I mean, it comes, yeah, you know, the core book, it says it has 14 settings in it. And obviously, your playground is all of history, made up or not, plus all of not yet happened history, because if it's time, you can go both directions.
0: Nice. So, I mean, I mean, if it's time, you could go any direction. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. You'd just be like, "Well, this is a different timeline." <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, so yeah, that's that's mine this week is is the uh, the gumshoe game time watch from Pelgrane Press.
2: That is a cool game. Definitely good suggestion. Very, very cool.
0: Well, with all that being said, we want to thank you so much for coming on, Egg. It was it was an awesome conversation. I yes. appreciate y'all
2: having me. Like I, I I love to run my mouth. Huzzah! <laughs>
1: and you don't even have to correct any spelling or send it to an editor. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anytime you want to come run your mouth, you're welcome to it. Just let us
1: know.
2: I may well take you up on that. Yeah. Yeah. With that all will hang hang around
1: the Discord and whatever else if you like, too. Thank you. Appreciate the offer.
2: Yep. With
0: that all being said, we want to thank everybody for listening,
1: and we want to remind you to
0: be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs.
1: Yep. Take care, y'all. I'll see you later.
0: intro and outro music by the band 12 noon you can email us at me and steve at gmail.com to find us on twitter at and rpgs find us on facebook at me and steve podcast on discord at me and steve rpgs and as always all of these links are in the show notes thank you and be kind to one another
2: for the cigar cigar 20 bucks dog you gotta go down the street to the store and buy that
3: i turned into a pirate at the end there (laughs) Yeah, let's go play
0: some rpgs oh man and there's the outtake. There it is. <laughs> oh, well, Thank you
3: so
2: much
1: for coming thank on. Thank you
2: very much for having me. I was kind of out of the blue when you asked, and I was like, oh, this is really awesome. Th- thank you very much.
1: Like well, Thank you for taking the time to, to do so.